Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. Joining me, John Duke, as always. And yet, here we are again, John. How many of these shows are we going to kick off just immediately getting complainy? I, I really am just mystified. At what is going on? Didn't I say they'd rebound and go? I think I said four and zero. Even I said this would be it, you know. And uh, and they go one and three this past week. I think you said three and one. Mm-hmm. I said four and zero. We thought this would finally be the moment. Tough one in Charlotte, but the Knicks inexcusable. Everybody flipping out, and then all of a sudden you see them play Atlanta, and you think, okay, they're back on track. This one's the one. And then they go out and just, again, get burned from beyond the arc and a little, uh, just enough inside on Saturday night's game, lost to the Mavericks. Basically, J.J. Barea, another guard, who didn't necessarily have his way with the Celtics throughout the entire game, but he had some significant minutes in the fourth and looked like, you know, an all-star the way he lit them up from beyond the arc. And then obviously Wesley Matthews contributing and there's another loss in the books. It's tough. Let's let's not get too down about the Charlotte one because Kemba Walker, <laughs> it was bad, but Kemba Walker's been on a tear. It wasn't like he only lit up the Celtics, right? He's riding a very high of high uh, level of confidence, but the Knicks loss, inexcusable. Really just 100% inexcusable, frustrating, and should have been the wake-up call and the Atlanta win made you think that maybe it was. But, uh, again, in Dallas, his team just really struggling to find chemistry. Like, what the hell? Yeah, it's – um I, I hear what you're saying about the freaking the Kemba situation because Kemba's torching everyone. But whether it's J.J. Barea or it's Trey Burke or it's – um you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Campbell Walker, or it's Jamal Murray, or it's Victor Oladipo. Uh, there's a there is a trend line here that seems to to tie into all this, which is the Celtics being having absolutely no idea what to do on the high pick and roll over and over and over and over and over again. Even games they win, they get in high pick and roll and they just lose 
um, whatever it is. And, I, and frankly, it feels like a lot of time is being spent trying to get a matchup of putting this, a small onto Horford. Now, look, Horford has been a, a tremendous defensive player for the Celtics in the two years and one month that he's been here. And I'm not suggesting that he's not a great defensive player and hasn't been. But clearly there is something in a scouting report that's saying, I want to get Al Horford in a pick and roll because I think I can beat him. I don't know if it's because of the new rules. I don't know what it is. But right now, they are torching the Celtics. Absolutely incendiary-type stuff. And it's got to stop because the Celtics are going nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Part of its point of attack, part of its, you know, the communication issues, is part of it is the guards not really, you know. <laughs> we had one situation where it seemed like uh, Rozier was, was supposed to send him towards the screen, and he, and he left him basically a wide-open lane to the hoop. We've seen that a lot. I don't know if it's communication. I don't know. It seems to be something well, different all the time. Of the perimeter defense, right? He basically called them out and said it's the perimeter defense, and that should have been a strength. You know, you look at Horford getting the game off in Atlanta, so you kind of want to just say, well, they're getting beat inside because of the interior defense, and Horford's tired. But, you know, I won't say that their defense was incredible against Atlanta, but the offense was so much better. It masked it, and, you know, it was kind of an up-tempo game. The Celtics, what, 49 points and like, first quarter, some craziness. Like, I mean, seriously, world on fire. And we need to see that more from them offensively so that maybe the defense gets a chance to kind of breathe a little bit and lock in. It's almost like maybe they're, you know, they're so in their own heads about the defense with no room to breathe because the offense isn't there. It's killing them. But but either way, um, you know, that's something that we've got to see significant improvement on is that perimeter defense. And Brad basically said they're the problem, even though, to your point about Horford, it looks like Horford's the problem. And I know you said not last week, maybe the week before that you thought Horford was getting kind of tired out. Um, he definitely has been a liability, even uh, against the game, uh, you know, in the game against Dallas. How many shots that I would normally have been timely shots if he hit him? Did he miss? I mean, baseline jumpers, three pointers, really shots that we've seen him make in the past. I don't know if this is related to the foot injury or if the foot injury was an excuse to give him a night off and see what the team would do. I'm not sure, but really not knocking down some shots that he probably should have and normally would have. I mean, he's still, he's still shooting at, you know, 54% true shooting percentage. He still has a good percentage number. But I personally, it feels like he's missing everything. He's 46, you know, from twos, almost 47 from twos, 32% from three. You know, that, that's for the type of shots. But what was the Dallas game? You got to pull that up. Pull that up. Find the Dallas game and take a look at that because I, I feel like there was a stretch of time, you know, and basically for three quarters, the Celtics stayed even with Dallas. They kept getting down, but then they'd climb back in, right? That's kind of been their MO. But they never let Dallas, like, really cruise up by more. Like, anytime it got to 10, they clawed their way back. And then Dallas made that final push and then kind of did what Trey Burke and uh, Kemba Walker and so many others, guards especially, have done to this team in the, you know, early to mid-fourth quarter to really take a – a commanding lead, and then the Celtics start doing the jack the three move, and uh, you know jack the three becomes jack the knife in the back, and it's the killer. They can't 
they can't end up getting away. You know, they can't climb back in. They can't shoot their way out of it. And, and, and yeah. also, you know, you look at that Dallas game. How great was Brown at going to the hoop and finding ways to turn the corner and attacking the basket? And then all of a sudden that kind of goes away in the second half and definitely the waning minutes and not so much. I think because there were that Jalen was less aggressive. It's just like the opportunity wasn't there. The team didn't push it. And, you know, that you see even somebody like Kyrie come up and just, you know, take kind of a weird, almost ill-advised three-pointer. Like all of a sudden nobody's cutting or they're not finding the cutters. It's just, it's really disjointed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to your point, I mean, the question you asked, he, he did shoot two for five from three, uh, but he was three for 11 from the floor. Um, Al Horford was, you know, and those things seem to be tied together. Rozier, certainly he was one for six from the, from the field. Look, I, I think Ed Scal said it right on Friday night in Atlanta and that during that 40 point uh, quarter, but, but really even after that, when they only scored 16 in the quarter after that, when the Celtics play with passion and they play with purpose, they seem to play pretty well uh, when they're running through their cuts and and they're and they're making cuts and they're driving with purpose and they're they're driving to create they're driving to do something when they have purpose behind their actions they play well when they don't have purpose it it's they're going through the motions you know and it's probably why we've seen so many of these performances where they play their best when they're trying to get somewhere you know and that's that's great to see but then you this is kind of the ongoing story of the 2018-19 Celtics okay well now you play with purpose here in this first quarter okay well now we've got this other problem in that you know we've missed a few shots and our energy changes once the bench comes out in the second quarter and we can't get anything done you know and then on on Saturday night the issue is well we're starting to make some shots and we're showing purpose and we're playing better but defensively we're an absolute sieve and we let Berea completely torch us over and over and over again. That was a close game. I mean, they, the Celtics were were in that game. They were too far down, and I'm putting a lot of that on the fact that they just haven't found their footing. But they completely – this was the worst – I don't think people would think about this if you watched the whole game, but the, the Dallas loss was the worst loss of the week <laughs> because while it was close you know, in the waiting minutes – the, the final score got worse and worse and worse because they had no they had no answer in the final minutes. For yeah, it's so Moran. bizarre right, that they don't have an answer, a hundred percent. And you talk about a lack of purpose. You talk about the inconsistency. And I want to talk about Brad Stevens, but first, follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke, and the entire CLNS Media Network at CLNS Media. Facebook.com slash CLNS fans and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And finally, the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash CLNS Media for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report. So, John, let's talk about Brad Stevens and this lack of purpose and the inconsistency. How much of it are you going to put on Brad Stevens for not being able to get this team motivated and rallied after we've been seeing him as such a motivator, a man who gets players to overachieve night in and night out, and all of a sudden he's got this cast of talented players and they're all underachieving and under committing and under effort. So the question is, how much do you put it on him 
And we talked about it a little bit last week. I said it was an issue of roster construction. But I'm going to come back and say, how much of it is on Brad? And how much of it is on the fact that, you know, we can say players don't know their role. And that automatically is a backhanded, you know, kind of slap to, to Brad Stevens without saying his name. Or you can say that players are disgruntled because of the playing time, which was definitely a preseason concern that was raised. You have these young players who feel like they earned it. Terry Rozier, obviously notwithstanding, even if he's doing a great job of keeping his mouth shut, um, the way he's played since preseason, it was almost like in preseason he thought he was going to earn his way into the lineup. You know, maybe even the starting lineup, right? Like he could play his way in there. And then since that didn't happen and playing time was a little rough for him, it seems like his play has really dropped off. Um, you know, Brown and Tatum maybe don't know their roles, or maybe it's not that they don't know their role. Maybe it's just not prominent enough for them to get the juice or the buzz or the vibe from last season and, and really feeling like that they took this team within one win of the finals. You know, there's something, there's a convincing argument that's been made. And now they're playing, you know, kind of second fiddle to Kyrie and, you know, and Hayward's, you know, trying to get him 100%. And even if they do and the roster construction isn't good, then one of them may sit. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of concerns there for those guys. So how much is it that we're finally going to say there's a roster construction issue or it's Brad Stevens? Cause I'm done with saying it's the players. The players have all had success somewhere before. They're not having success here, and there's really no excuse from a talent standpoint. Yeah, but I I I understand that. But I, I whether they've done it before, they have to do it now. And I I'm I'm willing to put more of this on Brad Stevens once we get after you know once I know Hayward is Hayward. I think Hayward's play when Hayward plays well. Things seem to fall into place a little bit better, whether it was the Toronto game, even against the, in, in the Atlanta game. Uh, you could argue even the Milwaukee game. The Celtics' best games this season have all come when Gordon Hayward has played like Gordon Hayward. It's distributing in the second unit, making his shots. Um, it feels like the team plays its best when Hayward plays, you know, at, at a higher level. And that's, he's still not playing anywhere near all-star level Gordon Hayward. So, I think we're going to see that more consistently as we move through December and January. And I, and I think he's going to improve. So part of that, I want to see how this team looks with Gordon Hayward playing like Gordon Hayward. But to your point, I think roster construction is probably the place I'd, I'd put my, put my bet. It shouldn't be an issue, but it is an issue. Yeah, it is. I, and I think Rosier is the one you got to look at right now. You know, can you play? When you have a situation where your backup point guard, he's obviously affected. He's obviously affected, and he's not right now playing. I'm not saying he had to be what he was in the playoffs, but he's not able to play at even 70% of that right now. And that's a, that's a concern because it's a drain for the bench, and it's taking shots away, and it's stopping the ball, and it's stopping everything, and they're not getting the defensive effort the same defensive effort that they need from him. Even if he was missing shots but be able to hold things down defensively, I'd have a lot less concern about that. But right now it's almost disruptive. And so the question is, do you move smart on the ball? And then do you get really just a, a shooting guard? Is that what you need to, to fill that slot? There's just so many so many questions I have. You know, what would you do if you wanted to go in a different direction? Can you really even make a move there? Um 
you know, it, it's, I don't want to do that because I, in terms of in a 2K world, <laughs> if this were 2K, this is the perfect roster, you know, I mean, aside from having all-stars every position and Anthony Davis yeah. and all that. But Mostly it's because if Brad Stevens was the, was the coach of the 2K team, he'd have the controller and he'd be able to make them all do exactly what he would want them to do within yeah. the ratings and the abilities that they have. And that's just not what's happening. There's definitely a mental sort of something going on, a team chemistry issue. I just don't know how much it's, I don't know how much you can fix it, but that topic is a great leap to uh, the next segment, which we're going to talk about the Chris Sheridan uh, source, rumor, etc. cetera, uh, report. But first, we're going to tell you about 1 in 100. Hey, Boston sports fans, do you want to get great seats to see your favorite team just for the price of a beer or a large pizza? I bet you're tired of paying all the inflated markups from brokers and last-minute convenience charges just to pay courtside prices for nosebleed seats? Get out of here. Go to one in one hundred dot co. That's O N E I N one zero zero dot co. You feeling lucky? Try it out now because there's no other place online that's doing online raffles to win tickets to events and a great way to score tickets to the Boston Celtics. So the cost to potentially score those tickets with one in 100 is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. You can get a pair of tickets for less than the cost of a beer if you win, and your first raffle ticket is free after signing up. The experience of using one in 100 is extremely fun and exciting, from picking your lucky number to the feeling of potentially winning premium tickets. Are you feeling lucky? Try it. One in one hundred dot co. That's O N E I N one zero zero dot co. Also going to tell you about Robinhood, an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission free. Are you listening? This non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. I've got friends. They've been encouraging me to invest in cryptocurrencies, and now I've finally done it with Robinhood's easy-to-use app. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio and discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a personalized news feed. There's also custom notifications for price movements, so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at CelticStuff.RobinHood.com. That's CelticStuff.RobinHood.com. All right, so the Chris Sheridan report slash rumor slash sources that Anthony Davis has five teams that he might be interested here when uh, free agency comes up. And I thought Scal brought up a really good point, too, that July 1st is when the Pelicans could offer an extension. What happens if he declines it then? They're in a precarious predicament at that point. So great point, especially with the Pelicans coming up tonight, Monday night, the first game of the coming week. And we've got some things to say about that, too, before we wrap this show, John. But he says there's five teams that he's interested in. The Celtics are one of them. They're amongst the crowd of returning to the Pelicans and then also LeBron's Lakers, the upstart Sixers, who have a way better record than our more than upstart. Celtics, which aren't so upstart, and then the Knicks, who find a way onto this list every single time just because they're in New York City. 
<laughs> it's it's one way to get a lot of press for what you're writing about. It's just put the New York Knicks on every possible rumor. And yeah, it works, you know, it's, it's Jimmy Butler, Kyrie, and uh, and Anthony Davis. That's they're all going to be there by 2020, and then they're going to just wreak havoc on the league. It's so insane, honestly. It's just it's nuts. Um, yeah, I, in fact, I, I just I clicked on the. I didn't actually read the article. I was just looking at aggregators. Um, they have uh, – the Celtics has even money uh, in terms of the odds of being the team that, that acquires them. Now, they have the Lakers at 3-2. to two. So it seems like there's definitely a, a foot race there between the two of them. And Davis, obviously, now having Rich Paul as his agent, LeBron's buddy – there's been a lot of talk that that could be a thing. The, the Pelicans are always six to one, so clearly they think he's he's on his way out the door, which is kind of interesting. But you know, in the light of where we are right now, and a question of roles and who's in what role, um, maybe putting aside for a, a second, who would be in such a trades package for Anthony Davis? I mean, I think it's a no-brainer, right? I mean, I, I think maybe with some of the, the starry-eyed optimism before the season, there was some choice of, well, do we even want that? Is that we can't you know, score inside, and we can't defend inside even. Crazy. You know, sometimes there's a cleanup guy. Remember, I mean, that's something that the Celtics did awesome with that Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin, Kevin Garnett era. We knew Ray was a little bit of a defensive liability, although, you know, it's not – I'm not one to give him credit. I feel like he definitely did play better defense, uh, and maybe because he didn't have to shoulder the scoring load, but he wasn't a total, uh, he didn't hamper the defense as much as I think maybe we all thought he might when he came in. But one of the things they did is they would just funnel everybody to the outside and make them go baseline. Uh, if they were going to get to the rim. And then there was Kevin Garnett, rangy as all hell, defender, trying to alter shots. And that's what they really don't have. I mean, Al Horford is a great position defender. He's a great team defender, although he's struggling. We really talked about that a lot in the first half of the show. We're not going to go back. But they really do need a shot blocker. They need somebody to alter it. I, I know that Robert Williams got a bunch of minutes against Atlanta, I, I'm kind of more for him getting more minutes. I, I know there's a lot of things that don't go right for him when he's out there, but he is a shot altering presence and it wouldn't be a bad thing to see if we could get him sort of up to speed um, and to be able to give some crucial minutes when they're getting killed inside. Granted, that perimeter defense is an issue. Brad's got it right, but we don't have that. And that's what makes it a no-brainer. I mean, even DeAndre Jordan, what do you have, 14 points and 13 rebounds? How many of these big guys, you know, and DeAndre Jordan, not necessarily a scoring machine, right? He's kind of the defender, rebounder, you know, almost a Dennis Rodman-style kind of guy. So, yeah, maybe we give him the double-digit rebounds and say whatever. But, I mean, he's even making a bunch of free throws in that game and, you know, scoring some points and getting a lot of easy dunks. And that's just – that kind of stuff should not be tolerated even if the perimeter defense isn't playing well. Yeah, it, there is that – I mean, I, I think – Davis is going to be much more of a of a Horford type in that, you know, he's going to be on the perimeter. He's going to be, you know, he's he's not going to be offensively. Well, I think both. I mean, I think he's in pick and roll. You're going to be out there. Your big guys are going to be out there probably as much as any, you know, probably more than necessary you might want. But he's he's up to the challenge. He's up to the task. We've seen that over and over again. And Horford has been historically. Maybe he's just hit a rough patch, but. Davis is 
he's doing that everywhere. I mean, he's, he's, he's offensively explosive, but what he also does is he puts your team to me, what he does is he puts the team, the hierarchy is, is very clear in terms of who fits in where. And I think he is, he really is a hand in glove fit with Kyrie. Um, because both there is respect there, there's a friendship there that goes back to some USA basketball stuff back in, you know, five, six, seven years ago. But Kyrie certainly has a desire to be uh, a, a bigger presence, but, but also not. And they both, they, they wear the crown of, of fame very un, uneasily. I don't think that they're very, you know, forceful about wanting to be famous, yet they are and they're great. And I think that there's a good symbiosis between those two. And I think it'd be, it'd be the perfect fit as opposed to going to, to LA and trying to be the heir to the throne of the king. Uh, I don't know that that would work as well, you know, and I think in Boston, it just seems to be a much better fit for where Davis is, the, the town he's in, the appreciation that the town has for that type of play. And, you know, again, you know, fitting into something as we saw this year when the hierarchy isn't well established and roles aren't well established, it's really hard for players to play well together and understand what their teammates are doing. Here's one of the issues that would fix it. Are you thinking you get him in a trade because Chris Mannix kind of, you know, brought this up during the Dallas game and basically said, you can't trade for him this season because there's – I can't remember what the rule was. but the Rose rule. The yeah. Rose rule. I wanted to yeah. say the Rex rule, so I was close. Oh, the Rose rule. The R. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the Rose – I'm assuming it's Derek Rose that you can't yeah. trade for a player that has, you know, a high contract or similar to somebody else. So, um, you know, whatever that rule is, it's holding us back this year. But we also lose a ton of players at the end of this season which kind of makes putting that package together. I mean, I, I understand expiring contract players with no long-term commitment may have minimal value. Um, there's just that many less to match salaries and do all of those things that you need to do. So if we do, in fact, wind up where we see a situation that kind of lays out like Scow or July 1st, they offer Anthony Davis a max extension. He declines it. The pressure's on. Do you think it's Horford that gets included in said deal? Because of the salary, well, remember Horford can can opt out, so there is there is some concern. I mean, I don't know if concern is the right word, but he could he could step away from his contract as well. So I don't know that Horford is maybe the first one I'd look at. I mean, purely in a contract sense, I think you're right. He he makes he probably makes the most sense going out the door as a thirty year old or thirty two year old player who's you know. Probably not going to be as good today as he as he is. Uh, not he's going to be better today than he is tomorrow. Um, but uh, I think you're probably more is likely looking season, at the last season of his contract already. Well, it's, it was a three plus one. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's he opts in for one more year and then already. Gosh, yeah. that happened fast. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. So yeah, so he's on the same the same kind of path, I guess, as Kyrie is, and you know you can't see either of those guys. I, I don't. I think it's most likely Horford. <laughs> everything the first part of the show aside, perhaps, uh, I think it's most likely he stays here and signs for a lower number 
I think that's probably the likely outcome of Horford staying. There may be some sort of, you know, no trade that they throw his way to do that, but you know, maybe a three-year deal. Well, we talked about that before. That's kind of been our gist was you give him another four years. He plays out till he's, or five years, whatever, plays out till he's 36, 37. He plays on smaller money, but it's guaranteed money for many, many more years instead of him going into free agency at 33 as a big man who's supposed to be mobile and getting beat up a little bit, right? I mean, because that's – honestly, that could be a little bit – like I could see him getting a high short deal, but, you know, you go into your – you go into 32, 33 as a big man, you know, and and you're supposed to be, you know, more position defender and rangy and all of that, you know that's going away, right? So – is he really in a position to get another max deal? Probably not, right? No, I I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of money on the table right now, but I can't imagine that anyone's going to look and say, "I want to throw you know a lot of money at Al Horford right now." You know, I think there are people who want to throw money at Al Horford, but a full max for right. four years, a lot of money, but nah. not a full max. Yeah, maybe maybe what has now become Evan Turner money. <laughs> Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like that, that anomaly, you know, somewhere around 18 to 20 million, you know what I mean? For a longer deal is probably where you would, where you'd see him land. As a matter of fact, you can almost see the flip flop between Horford and Kyrie, right? Kyrie's number goes up, you know, to above where Horford is today, but not much, right? Not no, much right. above. And then Horford comes down a lot closer to Kyrie's and they just kind of change places. Um, Horford gets to stick around for a while. Maybe they even drop that number further. You know, who knows, depending on length of contract, but it still doesn't create cap space. It just makes it easier for them to re-sign some of these other guys, you know, that otherwise would be a little tight. Somebody like Marcus Morris, you got to think is going to get a bunch more money. So they're not going to be able to get him on the contract that he's on today. He's likely gone unless a Horford opts out or Kyrie doesn't re-sign and he's willing to be patient through that process. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's a guy that just you can't keep around. So we'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Would be great if they can make any kind of a deal before then. You know, Carl Anthony Towns isn't going anywhere at this point either. Now that Butler's out of town, I think, you know, they've basically stated that's who they're committing to and as they should. So no trade to be had there. The only other one I'd say is, uh, you know, this would be a weird, a weird and unlikely trade partner. But there are some issues going on with Draymond Green out on the West Coast, right? Yeah. And and yeah. he would, you know, kind of, again, maybe not much of a shot blocker per se, but another solid defender, you know, somebody you could shoot the outside ball. I mean, are, do you have any interest in, in that? And what would you give up? You know, contractually, you know, it might, I know everybody's like, ah, I don't like the personality, but he's still young, you know, still very young. He's got two years left on his deal. You could take Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and package them for Draymond Green in terms of salary numbers, and that might actually be enticing to that team out there, with the exception of the fact that they lose a big. Right. No, I think that's right. And I, I but the problem with Draymond, I, he, I mean, he's younger than Horford. I think he's twenty nine. He's three years younger than Horford. No, he's only twenty eight. Twenty eight. Okay, four years younger than Horford, but his skills are eroding. I think. Um, his shooting, 
he has not been a decent three point shooter for a long time. Um, I can pull it up, but, um, he, he's basically, you know, he's like a 30% three point shooter. I mean, I mean, and you notice when the, in the games when the Celtics were playing them, uh, was it two years ago? They started giving that, that shot to him now. Yeah. So as of 17, he was 30%, 30% last year. This year he's shooting 22% from three. So, so how does that correspond with the arrival of Kevin Durant? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a real argument to be made there <laughs> as to what the impact is. He's also, you know, Green's also got he's got the toe. It seems like he's more injured recently. I mean, he just the way he plays is really hard. Yeah, be hard to give up Brown. Be hard to give up Brown in that scenario. Then, you know, if the you're only questioning one... his health, that's. That that's it's tough to give up a young player with that kind of athleticism. If if you question somebody's health, you'd think at twenty eight you wouldn't be worried about that. No, absolutely not. I I think the probably the the next big chip that I'd be looking at apart, you know, maybe Portland might do something, but they're playing well. I think the next probably the next big chip I would look at is probably what's going on in Washington and Brad Beal and is Brad Beal a guy. Who Celtics fans, I think Brad Celtics fans might be a little bit lukewarm on because he really, he had some nice performances, but not great performances. The thing about Brad Beal though is that two things. One, he's a catch and shoot guy. So it's not like he's going to muck up the offense nearly as much as, as perhaps some of the more ball dominant uh, players. He has some experience who understands how he fits in, into the, the situation. And two, He's Jason Tatum's guy. I mean, he's basically the godfather for Jason Tatum and kind of leading him up out of, uh, out of St. Louis. And so, you know, if you're going to try to do something to keep him there and keep Tatum happy here in Boston, that's the type of deal you do. Yeah. That's another major roster reconstruction screwball. It's just not, well, it, I just don't think it solves any problems, but you know what? We're, we're We'll have a lot more conversations on this as time goes on for sure. I do want to review the week to come. We've got to wrap up the show here in just a minute. But the schedule coming up is super bizarre, and we do have to talk about it. So tonight, obviously, they're they're playing the Pelicans, but then they get three days off, and they come home to face the Cleveland Cavaliers after three days off. And then they have a home and away back to back. They get back on a plane and fly out to Minnesota. And then they're going to come back home because they got to wait out four more nights of rest before a game on Thursday. I am all about the NBA spreading out some of the games and everything else. But this one seems really stupid. Like, why not do the Cavs on Thursday or maybe push the Cavs even a couple more days? Like, I don't. I get it. Other people's schedules have to line up, and I'm sure it got a little quirky. But to do a three-day break, have a home game, then play a back-to-back home and away, and then have four days off is, like, ludicrous. It's totally ludicrous. And I honestly, based on history, not sure how this does anything to help this team other than it will be pretty good. They'll be home for the most part, right? They'll get done the road game with the Pelicans. They'll be able to be home for three slash four nights. You know, they'll go on the road and then they'll come right back home and be home again for four nights. Like they'll be doing a lot of practices and they definitely need a lot of that for the chemistry, but at least they'll be sleeping in their own beds. Before we said maybe the, all the road stuff, that road trip would help get them right. 
but the road trip didn't get him right. Maybe a little bit of time at home and a time, you know, in the gym to practice will get him right. Who knows? But I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say they go two and one this week. I'm going to say they beat the Cavs and the Timberwolves in this weird home and away thing, but they lose to the Pelicans tonight because they just can't get it done inside, dude. And Anthony Davis, I know he may not play. And if he doesn't, I love their chances, obviously. But I think maybe he does play and he eats them alive. Ooh, that's sad. That's sad to hear. Uh, I'm worried about Drew Holiday, honestly. He has been really good this year. Um, and in pick and roll situations, if I just, all I have to do is, okay, who's been really hurting the Celtics? Oh, okay. This type of player. Oh, and that's going to be, and that, oh, great. This will be fun then. I think they're going to win tonight though. I think the Celtics are going to, they're going to pull out the W over the, over the Pelicans. I think they want to show their future teammate exactly who they are. So, uh, <laughs> I think they'll win that one. And then, you know, later on in the week, um, I think they'll beat Cleveland. Don't feel so good about the Minnesota games. So I'll also go two and one before we're just going to swap the first and the third. Um, I'm with you. If Davis doesn't play, play, if Davis doesn't play, it's the Timberwolves and Carl Anthony Towns that kills them. Right. One of them's going to get them this week. That's the easiest way to go. So we're both two and one. We're in agreement for the first time this season. That's fantastic. Um, hopefully <laughs> us getting on the same page will help them get on the same page and we'll come back and actually be right and feel fairly happy. I mean, at least they didn't have a losing record this last week. They went two and two, so not quite back on track, but hovering at 500. So that's right. And a two and one week would put them above 500. So we'll take that. That's good. You know, that's, uh, that's progress. Yeah. If they hit two and one weeks the rest of the way, I'd be content with that. So let's try to work on that. I'll tell you what, to hit our 60 win prediction, they got some work to do. That's for sure. All right, everybody, we'll be back in a week. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media Mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.